Hello, this is Carol Campbell, editor of Africa Legal. Welcome to our podcast series. Today, I'm speaking to Farai Nyabareka, a partner at Manakori Attorneys in Harare in Zimbabwe. Farai is head of the firm's regulatory and compliance advisory services. In January 2019, she became Manakori's first female partner. Welcome, Farai. It's lovely to chat to you again. The last time we spoke was shortly after you were made partner. Yes, that seems like such a long time ago, Carol. Thank you for having me back on the platform. Appreciate it. Amazing to to chat again. Um, The circumstances of this conversation are so different to when we last spoke. And now uh, COVID-19 is clearly front of mind for many of us. Um, But we've not heard very much from a Zimbabwean perspective. Could you tell us a little bit about how it's impacted your life in Zim? Of course. Um, I mean, we're still in uh, days and trying to make sense of it all. It's, I mean, obviously taken the global world by surprise and nobody can actually say that they were prepared for it. So I'll share my ad hoc perspectives with you. Um, don't quote me on any of them. But I think primarily what, um, on a personal level, obviously having to dig deep and sort of um, adjust to the new normal, if I can say that. Um, yeah. As you may be aware, Zimbabwe has also just completed its um, national lockdown. We had a period of three weeks, which is further extended by an additional two weeks that have just ended. And um, we're trying to s- sort of squeeze back into normalcy and day-to-day um, trading. So it's been a big, bit of an adjustment and just trying to stay engaged with what's happening in the world um, on a global level. Obviously, we are part of a global law firm, so we we really operate on a macro-international level, if I can use that word. So it's really been about yes. adjusting, but at the same time, not trying to get bogged down in the doom and gloom of it. It's a very, very delicate time for a lot of people and a lot of vulnerable people in, I mean, in the I mean, the micro environment and yes. the rest of the world. But for us and for me, speaking for me, it's just been a really a time for self-reflection um, and digging deep and trying to see how what's the post-COVID world going to look like. Because the key thing for us as a firm and for me as an individual is the post-crisis outlook. So that's that's sort of the level that I've been operating on. But we're trying to ease into it if I can say, to ease back into the new normal. Farai, just for the ordinary person, what is the internet infrastructure like in Zim? Sorry. You, now, as we, we look towards going into an online world, yes. what is the internet infrastructure like? Very good. Well, we just had South Africa announced 5G. We're not quite there yet. So we we have a very good, robust telecom system in the country. It's good. And I think yes. most of the rural areas or, you know, the non-urban areas do have um, internet access. There are obviously a lot of people or because of the population and the spread of uh, how, we, how the country is constituted. Uh, a lot of people do not actually have um, the infrastructure, but the, the base of it is that most people have access to a mobile phone, so connectivity is yes. there, um, and we're able to disseminate information quickly. Um, our road network is fine. Um, we're able to actually communicate with people that may be in the far-flung regions of the country, away yeah. from the urban areas. So the good thing about it is that, um, and I, I'm from the rural areas, so I can actually speak authoritatively on that. Say, you know, when mm. you're going out into the countryside, 
um, people are complying with social distancing. Businesses within the rural areas are aware of, you know, um, sanitizing people going out in public areas. People have been good about staying at home. And there's, re- there's been a really good sense of cooperation and a basic grasp of what it needs to do. So the information is filtering through to where it needs to get to. And people are obviously trying to do their part with the infrastructure that we do have. Farah, what I wanted to ask you is, do you get a sense of political will to expand broadband within Zimbabwe? Do you think that uh, this is something that, um, an infrastructure development that's on the horizon? Um, Obviously, uh, we, I think the the mandate of any government really is to ensure the well-being of its citizens. And now speaking from a political perspective, but just from observations on the ground, I think what my observations have been is that a lot of of it is while government has the, is prepared to do it, it could be just an account of lack of capacity. Um, I mean, you, you, story of our our economic situation is, is well known to everybody. So while the basic understanding is there that we need a robust telecom systems in order to be able to disseminate information quickly and to help in our disaster preparedness and responsiveness to this crisis, um, the ultimate thing is that this, these things need to be funded. And where we're seeing a lot of it is where there's a vacuum that's being left by government. Um, a lot of private sector players are coming to the fore with a lot of government intervention and support um, in terms of, you know, just being able to make sure that there's businesses that are trying to introduce these measures from the private sector, for instance, setting up national hotlines to share information or SMSs on, you know, alerts on what's where testing centers are or updates on, you know, up to the information. And, and it's, 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 it's on all platforms, really, because you get the, we've got national, we've got Twitter handles now for government, for instance, and um, there's obviously press briefings that are um, issued out um, weekly, for instance. So where there's a lack of capacity on government, my, my observation has been that a lot of, there's been a lot of goodwill. I think that's coupled with corporate social responsibility, with um, private sector partnering up with government to set up um, um, systems and structures and infrastructure really in terms of setting up, you know, deployment centers where people can get text tested or mobilizing or setting up GoFundMe's or, you know, donation centers for where private sector can come in and donate in order to create this ecosystem of a well-rounded solution to respond to this crisis. And in your day-to-day life, uh, I mean, technology is obviously playing a greater role in our personal and professional lives, but how integrated has it been previously in your practice of law, for instance? Oh, absolutely critical, Carol. I mean, um, I'm an old dinosaur by by technology (laughs) standards, um, by no means a young lawyer. So I think it's it's been, and, and what I like about it, I think the if I can say the good thing, but one of the positives for us as an organization and as a fraternity in Zimbabwe is that it sort of forced us into the digital age. Um, we were, everybody knew about this whole fourth industrial revolution technology and how it was going to disrupt um, the legal the legal field, but nobody had a clear appreciation. And I think um, this, this crisis has sort of forced people to really take stock and to be really propelled into it unwillingly. Because what we've observed is, you know, obviously people not being able to work from home and having those face-to-face interactions with clients, with stakeholders, with each other, with other lawyers or with 
support system, for instance, people have had to be ingenious in terms of trying to find, you know, how to get out to navigate being able to use just your laptop and your phone or mobile device to connect with, with you know, all the other stakeholders in your business. And, um, you know, with working from home solutions, people are now recognizing the need to have Zoom or, you know, have systems that are, um, you know, bulletproof to, for instance, hacking or software and all of those things. And people are really coming to the fore and saying, how do we make our business in, in order to ensure business continuity? We need something that's going to build on us not being able to work with brick and mortar solutions to come into an office every day, an office space, and share ideas with our colleagues or run an idea past my supervisor or engage with my client who's removed from where I am physically. And a lot of it has been, you know, downloading of new new apps or new tools, teleconferencing, and it's it's been really it's it's this has been I think what we've needed to to sort of get us to where we were trying to push everybody to say we need to recognize the role, the surmountable role, the insurmountable role that technology plays in our business. And this has been a this has been a demonstration of that. Farai, I'm just swinging away from technology now. Um, in February, you were at our GC forum, Legal in Darba hosted by the Hive Group and Africa Legal, uh, which was part of the Investing in Mine, African Mining in Darba yes. 2020. Now, yes. so much has changed since then. From your perspective, has mining been one of the most impacted sectors under this COVID pandemic? Yes, um, it's, uh, definitely, because obviously mining is a very, it's protection. So you need to be on site and, you know, mining in order for there to be any mining business to speak of. So, um, and in speaking from a Zimbabwe perspective, one of the key things is that mining is one of our nation's greatest GDP contributors. So a lot of it is um, exporting of, of, of ore. So one of the biggest contributors to our economy. And um, yes. it's obviously very obvious by the fact that when the COVID first hit and we had the initial period of lockdown um, and people were just thinking about then at the moment, how do we ease up and obviously the whole economy is suffering and the value chain from all and all other sectors are, are hard hit by this crisis on account of people not being able to be at work and being productive in the normal sense of the word. Um, our government actually recognized that and said it was one of the first exempted sectors where they said people can put that are in the mining sector, I think was actually singled out to say they need to get back to work and they need to put in place measures and to work with the Ministry of Health, the mining sector and the, and the health sector had to be, um, I think in one of the president's state um, speeches, and it, it's it's been it's it's really a cornerstone of our economy, and it's not one of those things where you can do remotely or until technology has come up to it. But um, it's and we still use like you know rudimentary measures, and technology hasn't really seeped into our mining our mining structures as yet. So it's very it's a very pivotal thing for us, and I think it's it's been hard hit to the sense that we couldn't export. Um, product is your way. We don't have a very big beneficiation scheme in the country. So what was happening is obviously when people in lockdown and I think just being able to set the product supply chain of mines to the neighboring countries where we export products. So all of that and opening up all of that was very critical to our, our, our foreign inflows. Now, you're well known as an expert legal advisor to many large and foreign businesses with interest in Africa. Now, are we going to see an increase or decrease in willingness for such companies to deploy capital into African markets? 
post-COVID? In my view, I'll, I would reckon so, Carol, because um, the way I look at it um, is just from a sense of the way if you if we're tracking the progress of COVID um, and where it's been hard hit, it's been sort of like a, it's literally been doing the rounds across the globe, and some yes. regions um this you know how you know obviously rotating in terms of where some regions are being worse hit than others, and then others peak, and um, then mm. when they've got a handle on their cases and their infections, they sort of get a, manage, a manageable um, situation where the rate of infections is not as high, and then it moves on to the next, and I'm not quite sure how that's working out, but um, I think the key thing, and it's something that we've always spoken about, was you know all anchored by the concept of globalization, where the world is now one big market and where some people are not at peak product production, um, where there's a demand for um, products and services elsewhere in the world. This is where we can actually leverage relationships and value, I mean, and um, procurement supply chains across the world with each other. And um, for instance, we are with China now, where China is and one of, one, of, one of the epicenters and they've just opened up the market and China is one of Africa's biggest trading partner. So it will go like that. And I think for instance, where the trolls and highs and where people are saying, okay, we don't have this in this region at this moment, but where this country is under lockdown and we can supply to them or when it alternates. I think it's, 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 it's I'm not sure if I'm really making sense, but that's really exactly what I'm pinpointing. Yeah, I'm trying to pinpoint how with the use of globalization, with the use of globalization, I think if we can yeah. leverage relationships and customer chains and supplies and just trying to bed down international trade agreements with um, other regional partners, um, I definitely feel that there's scope for Africa for deployment because it still remains one of the frontier markets. So there will be, because if we, if Africa is still just starting to get into its own um, in terms of the high recording of cases, where we, I feel we will get hard hit, so it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, and with our incapa um, incapa inca incapacity to be producing, um, relying a lot on import where other yeah. um, other countries have gotten a handle on their cases and they're actually importing and exporting that's where we can leverage each other's strengths and weaknesses as the cycle of of the crisis goes on the point you made there that that struck me was it's all about relationships in the end i mean no matter what when all is stripped away it's who can yeah. you depend on and who can you who can you do business with who's open for business I think those are those exactly it. Mm. Yeah, and, and the benefit of international alliances, work out if I can just interject, is then you learn best practices because they've been through the worst of it. They've managed to put and they've had to learn and to sort of adapt in the moment, in the moment of crisis. Not everybody that's going to hit, that's going to get hit with the worst of it three months down the line has to suffer the exact same brunt because we've got relationships and we can leverage with international best practice methods and systems of how to manage this, which whatever particular sector, it could be financial services, it could be agriculture, agribusiness, um, mining, um, anything really, technology, or, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, I think, us being open and being receptive to that, you know, to say we've got, we, we're not in this alone. Um, and it, it sounds like a cliche, but we're really in it together. So that's, I think that's the approach to take. 
Now, for Rai, on a personal level, how have you been surviving these difficult times? Have you been going into the office every day or are you set up with all the tech at home? No, we, yeah, so we, we I'm still working from home, um, which has been quite an adjustment. And I think it just, it's, it's really a lot of discipline, self-discipline and just trying to get into routine and get out of your head a little bit, you know. Exercise is very important um, as well as I think staying engaged um, I think for me, that's been the critical thing. So respective of whether my day-to-day, normal day-to-day has been disrupted and I've got a bit of flake time, I try and read up and participate in a lot of webinars. Um, I'm clued in into sector calls. Um, I'm still engaging with clients. Um, I think the critical thing for any legal advisor at this juncture is to not feel, to, you, you basically, what clients are relying on is the business continuity um, supervisor really so you're the person that's um, keeping a look out and especially for my field being in, in regulatory and compliance government is issuing a lot of practice directors and guidance notes and regulations and and it's really spanning a lot of different client um, businesses and sectors so just making sure that you're on top of the game and just your advice is consistent and relevant because as you know this thing is really really moving rapidly and you know the malleability to just say um, your advice that you're giving to clients now has to be relevant by the end of the week. And if it's not, you have to be proffering solutions to clients um, in that regard. So I'm trying to keep read up a lot, seeing, um, um, especially from an international way, other countries have managed to get a handle on COVID, what the legal what the legal field is looking like, what the legal sector is doing to stay engaged um, and to sort of get above it. So this could really cover a lot of spectrums, Carol, and, you know, it's a lot of things that, you know, you have to touch on as a lawyer and from a business um, management perspective as well. So I think things like um, emerging lawyer risk management and professional liability issues, um, just ensuring that you're being able to work from home and working securely to maintain that your systems are robust and secure enough. Um, and then just, you know, releasing logistics and supply chain challenges for clients. So reading up a lot of that and trying to stay on top of things. Thank you so much, Farai, for joining us from Harari today. And thank you also to all our listeners. Pleasure, Carol. Thank you for having me. As always, keep an eye out for further episodes in the Africa Legal Podcast Series. And if you have any topics or guests that you would like us to feature, please feel free to contact us via Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or email. Details are available on our website. Until next time, this is Carol Campbell for the Africa Legal Podcast.